I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. And you're very welcome to episode 132 of the Irish Photography Podcast. My name is Darren, I'm your host this evening, and I'm joined by somebody whose work I've admired for a very, very long time, and I'm really, really excited to have a chat this evening. So, without further ado, welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast, Mark Denny. How are you getting on, buddy? Oh, doing fantastic. You're far too kind. Thank you so much. The, uh, the, the honor and pleasure is all mine. I really do appreciate the invite, for sure. Uh, listen, thank you very, very much for coming on. Like I said, you know, I've been an admirer of your work for a long period of time. And I said, one day I'll have you on. And guess what? Today is the day. So Today yeah, I'm, deli- day. I'm delighted <laughs> to have you coming on because I know you're very, very busy as well. Even though everything's on lockdown, I know you're preparing for a lot of things that are coming up. So we'll talk about that, I imagine, as the conversation will go on. But, you know, like I say, thanks for coming on. And in case anybody doesn't know who you are, can you give our listeners a quick overview? Who is Mark Denny? Who is Mark Denny? That, uh, that's a good question. I feel like it's something that uh, I'm still uh, trying to, to figure out as well. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still feel so so new to all of this. So much of this has really uh, transpired for me in just the last couple of years. But uh, I'm, uh, I guess the, the high-level overview is I'm a, a, a full-time landscape and outdoor photographer based out of uh, beautiful North Carolina. Like I mentioned, kind of, I'm new to a lot of this. I think I'm now entering my, my third year as a full-time landscape photographer. It's been quite a journey, but I, I have really enjoyed every moment of it. I used to think that, I think, you know, like when you're growing up, you always, I always used to hear things like, uh, do something you love to do and you'll never work a day mm-hmm. in your life. And I always thought that mm-hmm. was so odd. I was like, oh, that's a pipe dream. That's something you read in fairy tales. And nobody really says that. In the last two years, I've actually been able to to live that. And it's just been like one of those pinch me, wake me up kind of scenarios. It's been, uh, really has been a dream come true the last couple of years doing something that I, I love to do and uh, to make a, a, a career out of it. It's been exciting. Yeah, phenomenal, you know. And I suppose, like, I know from the things and watching you on YouTube and the different insights that you would give, like you've... In the past, you spent a lot of time in the corporate world. I think it was 2016, as you were, uh, when you started photography. So was it photography, Did it was it a release from the real world from you? Was there a passion there from when you were a kid? Or what was it? You know, it's a, that's a great question. I, uh, I kind of was in and out of photography in different aspects throughout my entire life. And I think my first real kind of exposure to photography no, no pun intended. Was uh, through my grandmother. She actually worked at uh, at Kmart, which is just a, a okay. you know a convenience store in the U.S. And she worked in the uh, the camera camera and jewelry department. I remember I'd go visit her during the summertime, and I'd go visit her at her work. And I was just fascinated by the cameras. I didn't care about taking photos. I just thought the cameras were kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of a, a techie nerdy guy. I love uh, just kind of technology of things. And that's kind of really where I I moved in and out of photography for quite a while was just kind of buying cameras, not so much for the photos, just for the technology of it. And of mm-hmm. course I would take some photos at the same time, but uh, it really wasn't until 2016-ish that I really started to kind of find a real enjoyment with outdoor photography. You know, I think I when, my, when I had my kids, when they were younger, I was when I bought my first uh, real DSLR, I think it was a Canon Rebel T, 
I'm not sure which one it is. I still actually have it somewhere. But then mm-hmm. that was when I started taking photos of them. And But uh, as far as outdoor photography is concerned, I'd say 2016 is when I started to, to pay more attention to that. Mm. And was it kind of getting out in the outdoors or was it trying to capture the photography? I mean, like, were you hiking before you had a camera? Were you getting out before you had a camera? Or was it the camera that kind of pushed you to say, I want to get out more? When I, when I was younger, I did a lot of, uh, of, I shouldn't say a lot. I did a fair amount of camping and backpacking and hiking with no cameras at all. Okay. And then around 2015, 2016, I started to, to kind of go out and not so much hiking per se, but more just kind of walks. And it was more or less just to kind of clear my mind. That was kind of a, a stressful time, 2015, 16 in the, in the corporate world. And there was just a lot going on for me personally. And I remember mm-hmm. kind of basically go out and take a walk, kind of clear your head. And that's mm-hmm. what I found mm-hmm. myself doing a lot. You know, you get a little bit of anxiety and you're like, all right, I'm just going to go take a walk. And thankfully, I live right in front of a kind of real nice local woodland area. And uh, it's got walking trails. So I used to spend a ton of time just wandering around, clearing my mind with no plans of taking a photo for anything, with anything. And then as that progressed, I en- ended up getting a camera and uh, kind of started to take a little bit more photos. And then just kind of snowballed into uh, what it is now. And when you're out in the woods and when you got the camera with you, I mean, one thing I love about that is, one, number one, you're out in the, in, in the middle of the open and most of the time, anyway, particularly here in Ireland, when I'm out somewhere is kind of rural or rustic, there is no cell phone signal, so nobody can disturb me. So then I start to have the camera with me and I'm thinking, okay, look at this, this is nice. Oh, look at this, this is nice. Now the beauty of having the camera is that you can capture those moments so you can then effectively relive those moments when you get back to base, I imagine, after that, yeah? Absolutely. That's what that's what it's all about for me is uh, it's not so much the, the actual photograph. It's just the experience of the things that led up to that photograph, mm. because I'm sure you can look at some of your favorite stories or favorite stories, some of your favorite images, and you mm-hmm. can recount every detail of mm-hmm. the experience preparing for that shoot and traveling to that shoot and everything associated with that photograph. It's, it's amazing the memories that a photograph can reignite in someone's brain. It's, it's pretty powerful. You know, they say was it a picture tells a thousand words or something along those lines anyway, but it is actually very, very true because like, number one, you can look at the image, you can almost feel the temperature that it was there. If it was windy, you can feel the wind. If it's warm, you can feel the heat. If, it's, if there's a smell there, you can get the smell coming back as well. And what I love, not only about the photograph, but also, and we'll touch on it in a moment as well, about the video, because when you've got a video, even from my own point of view, my own YouTube channel, I didn't start it to become famous or anything like that. I started it just purely as a joke with my friends, but then I got thinking and but I'm saying, you know what, when I'm dead and gone, my kids would be able to watch my videos and know where I was before when I was gone before they woke up or before they went to bed, I wasn't home because I was still out taking photographs. So they could kind of relive it vicariously through me. But then if the audience can also not only see the image, but then understand everything else that happened behind that, then for me, that's something that I love even more. And I think it's probably similar from your, your own point of view, because again, we'll talk about the YouTube channel later, but just from a video point, you've done videos where you haven't even spoken. You've done videos where you've just taken in the ambient sounds and that to me is something fully immersive. It's almost as if I was there with you. So like the, the photograph is one thing, the video is another level, but to relive them afterwards by just immediately picking up your phone or your computer or a print and you're immediately whisked back to that spot again is something which is incredible to have. 
Yeah, it's, it's one of the most powerful things in the world, I find. And what I think is so, so cool about it is I can look at one of your favorite photos and I, I will mm -hmm. only be able to see it at face value. It's a beautiful photo mm -hmm. and it's got nice colors, but I won't know any of the story that you see in that photograph. So we can look at the exact same photo mm -hmm. and it'll bring mm -hmm. back a flood of memories to you. But for me, it's just a photograph. And I think that's mm -hmm. so cool because it's such a personal thing for you or for me or for somebody else. Mm -hmm. I think very that's very really true. Cool. Yeah, that's very 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 true. And then I suppose you know you kind of you got into it in 2016, as you mentioned, and you kind of went, mm -hmm. "Geez, I'm not bad at this actually. Geez, I'm actually good at this. Wow, okay, maybe there's something more in this for me." So you you tell in 2018 you decided to go pro. So what was the motivation behind that? It was a little bit forced, honestly. I was uh, I was in the corporate world for 17 years, had mm -hmm. uh, an amazing job with amazing people. It was one of the best experiences of my life, but I went straight from college into this job and I stayed there for 17 years. It's all that I knew. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the corporation, much like they all do, was going, going through some restructuring and they were going through some layoffs. And my position was one of the ones that was going to be, uh, to be reallocated elsewhere. And I was okay. basically presented with an opportunity with a fairly decent severance package. Mm -hmm. And it basically pr provided me an opportunity to kind of roll the dice just to see mm -hmm. if I could make full-time photography a, uh, into a career. Because it, it, I had a severance package of, I believe, I think like six or eight months. Nothing, nothing crazy, not like five or ten years or anything like that. But it was <laughs> enough that I, and I had enough in savings that I could basically give myself 12 months. And mm -hmm. I actually documented all of this on YouTube. And I basically just told my, I, I always called it an experiment. And I said, mm -hmm. Mark, this is going to be a 12 month experiment. Of course, I got buy-in from my wife. My wife was all on board. She was like, just do it. If it doesn't work out, at least you tried. And that was like the big thing for me Huge is I was so afraid because I'm 42 years old now. Mm -hmm. And when I graduated college, I was 22. And mm -hmm. 17 years later is when my career in the corporate world ended. And I can't even, that 17 years, Darren, it went by so fast. It, it mm -hmm. really scared me a little bit because mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. went by so quick. And I was so afraid that if I didn't take this opportunity to try and turn something that I really loved into a full-time career, that I would be 70 years old in the blink of an eye going, God, I wish I would have just tried. I wish and I would have just tried instead of just going the safe route in you know, the, the nine to five, very steady income kind of job. So that was my kind of motivation behind it, was just mm -hmm. really just a, a roll of the dice to see if it could work out. And thankfully, knock on wood, it did work out and I'm hopefully it'll continue to work out as well. But that was really the, the motivation in 2018 to go pro. So a little bit of a, my hand was forced a little bit, but uh, it was a good opportunity presented to me to, to make a run at it. Well, you know, they say things always happen for a reason. And, you know, if you don't grab it by the balls, you might just look back and go, what if? And I think in that opportunity that you had, as you say, yeah, it is a scary world when you come out of something that you're used to. But you also had the passion behind it and to find the job you love and never have to work another day in your life. OK, maybe this is actually true. This is a golden opportunity to try it. So I think if you hadn't done that and you jump back into the corporate world, you're probably right because you would hit the 70 years of age and kept thinking, what if, what if, what uh, yep. if? Absolutely. And that's what I kept telling myself is like, you know what, Mark, if in if in 12 months, it's not working out, then you can just you can polish up your resume and go get a, another, you know, corporate job. But I just knew that if I didn't try it, I would live with that regret the rest of my life.
Yeah, for sure. No fair play to you for doing it. It is a bold move to do, but best of all, you had the support of your wife, and I think that's the most important part as well because you're not having to second-guess your own decision as well every day because you've got somebody who loves you which says, I want you to try this, and I'm supporting you to try this. So it's a bit easier, I imagine, for it to become a reality because you're going to have pressure in trying something like that as it is, but if you've got added pressure, then it makes it even bit harder again, I think. So yeah, fair play to your wife for supporting you wholeheartedly on that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. My wife and my kids are they're they're my biggest fans and you're exactly right. Having having the support definitely relieves a little bit of that pressure. Mm, for sure. 100%, and, yeah. And tell me, Mark, you know, I know you from a, a landscape photography point of view. Was it primarily landscapes that you shot? Have you tried other types of or genres of photography? So before before 2018, when I went full-time with landscape photography, so from, I guess, 2016 to 2018, it was when photography was really starting to become a serious hobby for me. And okay. I started to try, and I think it's a natural progression in a lot of, for a lot of hobbyists is to try and figure out a way to make a little bit of money. And my goal, much like a lot of people's goal then is, or in that scenario, is to be able to pay for your gear with kind mm -hmm. of like side jobs. So mm -hmm. I ended up doing some portrait sessions. I ended up doing events photography, but I I think I was okay at event photography, but I was not very good at portrait photography. I'm a, I'm a, I, I, I am an anxious guy and I'm a little bit nervous sometimes and mm -hmm. having to pose mm -hmm. strangers, that was just something that was so in, out of left field for me. And I remember mm -hmm. I would get a portrait portrait gig, you know, paying you know a couple hundred dollars or something like that. And I should be excited, right? Mm -hmm. I was sweating bullets for like the hours or the days leading up to the session. I would just be like a nervous wreck. I'm online trying to figure out how to become a better portrait photographer, but I did it because that's kind of you know what you have to do in the beginning a little bit. Is you just kind of take on what any kind of job that you can find. But mm -hmm. uh, that was really when I started to test the waters to see if I could even make any money at all. But I made very little money doing portrait photography, mainly because I don't think I was very good at it. But I didn't enjoy it. So I mm -hmm. uh, only did it for about a year before I said, okay, this is, this is, not, work. This, or this is not working. This is causing me uh, too much mental anguish. So I had to abort mission and, and go to something else. It's a very interesting you say that, right? Because I always kind of pigeonhole myself into that I'm a landscape photographer. I'm a one-trick pony. I don't do anything else. And any of my friends are having any events, and I've said this a number of times in the podcast, you know, they go, oh, Darren, you're the photographer. You can take the photos. I'm straight away going, uh-uh-uh, that ain't happening. Because a landscape stays still for me. People don't. And I always find that if I'm trying to wrestle around with it, I could never do a wedding. I could never do somebody's no, professional no. photography, <laughs> you know? Because that's exactly that, the pressure would be too much for me and thinking, I get one shot at this. What if I mess this up? I'm not going to get another opportunity to get these shots again. And it's something that I don't enjoy because exactly that, I would be very similar to you. I'd be thinking a week out, okay, this time next week I'm going to be doing this. Okay, hang on a second. Do I know what I'm doing? Uh, three days out, oh, geez, okay. What if I, I better go off and research this? And before you realize it, you've built yourself up so much that when it comes to the, the day or the moment, you're actually now second-guessing yourself and you're expecting yourself to fail. And if you expect yourself to fail, you'll get what you expect. Whereas if Absolutely, you say, you're, you're you know, so, <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. You know, so for me, I, I fully understand that 100% because I couldn't do that. Um, landscape is, is for me. I'm, like, like I said, similar to you as well, actually. Landscape is my release from the world. You know, it's, it's my opportunity to get out and I can relax. And that's what I associate my camera with. But to be able to do something from a, inverted commas, port, professional portraiture, 
I think it would turn it into a job and I, I know I wouldn't enjoy that. So yeah, I can completely get you, completely get you in relation to from that point of view. Yeah, I did not enjoy it at all. And I actually, I don't, I don't get any offers now to do uh, any types of, uh, any type of wedding photography. I think I'm, I'm known now as strictly landscapes, but a few years ago, I got quite a few offers to do weddings and I turned them all down. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, there's not enough money in the world to, to, to get me to do it. That, that pressure is unimaginable to me. And uh, I give, you know, all, all my hats off to the wedding photographers out there because I can't think of a more stressful thing to do with a camera. Maybe hanging yeah. off a cliff over a volcano or something like that would be equal stress. But photographing somebody's wedding, my God, yeah, that, no, that's no. a lot. That's a lot. Not for me, not for me. And I suppose, you know, where where you're based, you alluded to earlier on, you know, you're from North Carolina, so you've got mountains there, you've got valleys, and you've got the coast as well in your doorstep. So you are surrounded by beauty. Tell me a bit more about the area that surrounds you. What sort of photography can you get up to there from a landscape point of view? So I live almost smack dab in the center of North Carolina, right, right in between uh, Charlotte and Raleigh, which are the two biggest cities in North Carolina. So I'm about two hours from the coast and about three hours from the mountains. So it's it's perfect for a landscape photographer. I think it's one of the best states on the East Coast for landscape photography. There's not a ton of East Coast states that have both uh, mountains and uh, mm-hmm. coastal area that's in relatively you know close proximity to one another. Mm-hmm. So I'm constantly, I spend way more time in the mountains of North Carolina than I do along the coast, mainly okay. because I, I, uh, I spent, prior to moving to North Carolina, I spent uh, 10 or 11 years in South Florida. So I, okay. photo- or I didn't photograph a lot back then, but I was around uh, the, the coast constantly. So it kind of lost a little bit of its luster to me. Mm-hmm. But mountains, which is something that's so foreign in the state of Florida, I've became completely infatuated with mountains when I moved to North Carolina. And then when I discovered photography, I started to venture around the, the Blue Ridge Mountains much more. And then I discovered that North Carolina is one of the states that has the most waterfalls in the nation. Wow. And wow. they're everywhere. And there's so many of them that are undiscovered that nobody knows about. And it's it's a big area to explore, but it's... It, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, you can literally just get in your car and just wander around the Blue Ridge Mountains for months, if not years, and just wow. find new stuff everywhere. So there's a lot of great opportunities and a lot of great seasonality here. Mm-hmm. Living in Florida for so many years, there's there's no seasons. It's just hot <laughs> and the trees don't change. Palm trees don't change in the autumn or anything like that. So <laughs> living in North Carolina where you have a, a true spring and a true fall and a true winter and a true summer is a real treat for me. And I absolutely love it. It's just uh, to, to see the, the change of the environment every, you know, three or four months is pretty exciting. And do you have a favorite spot locally that you keep going back to? I would say... It's not super local. It is in the Blue Ridge Mountains, but there's areas in the um, northeast of or northwest of uh, Asheville. So I guess between the the Great Smoky Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains, there's areas around there that are just absolutely fantastic just to kind of chase waterfalls. Mm-hmm. But um, I love going there in the spring and the fall and just, uh, you know, I always find the certain little hot spots to go to, certain waterfalls that I want to revisit. But the most fun that I have is just exploring new areas and just kind of trying to find something that's not quite as photographed as some of the other more popular waterfalls in North Carolina. Cause there's, there's so many waterfalls here that are extremely popular. You could go there on any given day and there's just hundreds of people there, but there's also a lot of them that I've been to before and I've never seen another soul there. 
ever. And those are always special. That's very, yeah, absolutely. That's interesting. And actually coming from that, I have two questions for you because I noticed that when I go to the States, if I'm ever taking photos in the States, that you know the popular areas are popular for a reason because they're like the, the bucket shot, the honeypot shot and such like that. And you end up with a lot of other people taking very, very, very similar photographs. But on the flip side to that, if you find a little gem that nobody else has seen, and as you say, you can explore it yourself, then you can create your own composition as opposed to being influenced by others that you may have seen online in the past about a certain location. So, like, is there areas that you won't go to locally for that reason that there's so many photographs of it before now that you say, you know what, I'm done with that. I don't want to do that photo again. I'm not really influenced too much by if a photograph is taken by thousands of other people. I okay. what would kind of did what would would change the frequency that I would visit an area is if I've already got my own version of that okay. composition or of that location and I think the conditions were absolutely perfect. And mm-hmm. I don't see the conditions getting any better than what I captured. That would be when I wouldn't revisit it. But like you just mentioned, you know, these are iconic locations that are absolutely just mobbed with people all the time. They're mm-hmm. so popular because they're absolutely incredible. They're insane. They're gorgeous spots. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those, like Mesa Arch, I mean, that's one of the most photographed things in the world. But when I was mm-hmm. out there in Moab a couple years ago, I went there to get my, my shot of Mesa Arch, even though it looks a lot like everybody else's, but I didn't have my own. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, if, if there's a, a beautiful location, even, no matter how iconic it is, if it's something that you want to go after, I would definitely encourage everybody to go after that shot. But if I capture an image that I don't think I can best, then I probably won't go back to that location again. Or seasons mm. change, uh, change my, my thought track on that too, because there's a couple waterfalls in North Carolina that I've got absolutely gorgeous fall photos of. But if I know that area is going to have a an ice storm or get to possibly you know single digit temperatures, and I know that waterfall is going to have a lot of uh, frozen I, elements hanging off of it, I might mm-hmm. revisit it to capture a little bit of a different story because of it's a different season. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of a long winded answer to your question, I think. <laughs> no, but it, it's not. It's actually very very apt because you know when you think about the different locations that we would go to, I mean, like you know. A composition that you like so you when you look at an environment that changes on an instant you don't have to search for the location anymore you now know where you're going but you're going there for the atmosphere that you're going to get or the conditions as you say with frozen water icicles coming down the side of a waterfall rather than going somewhere fresh in beautiful conditions and then having to try and find the composition so i think it's actually very beneficial to have that area that you know is nice in a certain time of the year but when you get the right conditions for a completely different shot you're not messing around then. You're not going to miss these conditions because you know exactly where you need to go. So, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's a very, very important thing to do because, again, you know, every single day you can go to the same spot. You will get a different photograph. So it's not oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah that's know? one of my favorite things. I, I, I became obsessed with uh, photographing waterfalls because they're always, always different. Always mm. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're so dependent on the water flow. They're depending on the seasonality. And whenever there's moving water, that's automatically going to be changing the, uh, the landscape around it at a much more rapid pace as opposed mm-hmm. to areas where there's not water moving through it. So I mm-hmm. revisit waterfalls, uh, not super frequently, but I would say maybe every year at least. And it's amazing how much they change mm-hmm. and how much that water flow completely changes the overall photograph. 
totally different story every time. Uh, would you go to a waterfall now in the mid middle of summer? Uh, yeah, yeah. If the conditions, if, if the, well, yeah, I would, but, uh, you know, there's some waterfalls that are sky dependent. Mm-hmm. So if, um, if the sky seemed like it was going to cooperate, if there was a high likelihood of a, a large propensity of, of high clouds and it looked like it'd be a good sunrise or sunset, I absolutely would. Yeah. But I generally mm. like to do a lot of my waterfall photography in the spring and in the fall. Mm-hmm in the winter if the conditions are right. I fully agree. And I think the reason I ask you that as well is because the, the one thing I detest about time, every time I go to the States is mosquitoes. And oh, they're it, awful. <laughs> I, I absolutely hate it. And now luckily in Ireland, we don't get mosquitoes, but we get midges. And they don't hurt as much, but they are 10 times more annoying because there's more of them there. And they're always around waterfalls. And in the summertime in Ireland, it rains 330 days of the year. So, you know, we are going to always have flow in waterfalls. Now, granted, not a hell of a lot unless it's a heavy deluge, but you're still going to have a flow in a sky-dependent waterfall. But you're going to go to an area then to take these photos, and it's so uncomfortable with these midges that it turns me off it, to be honest with you. But definitely in the States with the mosquitoes, it's the one thing I detest. And it's, I, I had one opportunity... A number of years ago to go to Wisconsin for fall and I loved it because there was no mosquitoes and I was like yeah. oh my god this is a whole different world to me because I, I they must like my blood they must you know they, they see me getting off the Aer Lingus flight into Chicago and they're like here he comes <laughs> here, here he, he comes. comes yeah you know and it's they just got their horrible forks and knives ready <laughs> yeah it's horrible I hate it and they're always seen to be around by uh, waterfalls but I'm I'm similar to that I love water full stop I love the sea but I also love waterfalls, but I love the idea of going to an area that I know and getting a different photograph, as you say, as a, a different time of the year, different conditions, but hopefully right. without, yeah. w- w- without the mosquitoes because I hate them. Yeah, it, it definitely can put a damper on uh, on the overall enjoyment when you're constantly, you know, slapping mosquitoes oh. away from your face. But um, yeah, but yeah, like as far as getting the different versions of a similar composition or different versions of of a location my ultimate goal a lot of times is to get a a composition for each season so if you've Mm. got this beautiful waterfall if you've got that waterfall in four different versions summer spring fall and winter i think that would be an absolutely gorgeous photo set and it's something i'm working on on a few of my water a few of my favorite waterfall shots is to create those four set um, picture stories basically to kind of tell the an annual story of Mm -hmm. a particular waterfall i think that's really cool yeah great idea great idea so and the next question i have for you then is you know we've spoken there obviously from a local area within the whole north carolina but what about international from an international travel point of view, have you got a favorite international location um, that you'd love to keep going back to? I know we can't travel at the moment, but even from a traveling point of view, like is there somewhere outside of North Carolina that you fall in love with? Um, I mean, there's plenty of spots in the U.S. I actually have not traveled outside of the U.S. for photography. I had an opportunity... I think at the beginning of last year to lead a workshop in Tuscany, but of course with uh, everything that transpired, that yeah. had to be canceled. Yeah. But um, I, I'd love to come visit you guys in Ireland. My daughter's name is actually Ireland. I'm Irish, so I have uh, <laughs> there you go. a uh, allegiance to come photograph your area and hang out. I've heard just absolutely amazing things about uh, about Ireland from a 
from a beauty perspective. So that's definitely a place I want to go. I actually want to go to Dubai. I, wow. and it was so, what's so odd is that I am not a, a cityscape or architectural photographer at all, but I just, there's something about Dubai that I find very uh, fascinating. I see, mm. um, I'm, I'm sure you see a lot of the photographs from the tops of these buildings with the fog moving in and out. With and I fog. just think it's just so otherworldly and it's something that's such a, a, a fast departure from what I do. It just mm -hmm. kind of intrigues me a little bit. But um, yeah, yeah, I would love to, to go to both of those spots. I'll get there one day. Well, it's interesting you mentioned Dubai there because like Dubai, you've got your sand dunes. And I think from a sand dune point of view, I love looking at photographs. I've never been to a desert, so I don't know what it even feels like. But I love looking at the, 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 the contrast, the shapes, very similar to water because they change every single day. The wind will come in and blow the sand dunes in a different area. And you get some beautiful photographs there. And something that comes to mind is uh, the kind of iconic photographs of the roads leading in to Dubai, where yes. the sand has covered across the road. And when I remember first looking at that, saying, ah, oh, that's fake, that's photoshopped, you know. And then people started putting in comments, yeah, that's fake, that's photoshopped. And that reaffirmed my belief in it. But then I started to see other ones where it's not actually fake because the, the sand has rolled across the road. And I think that's something which is intriguing to me as well. Is that something like, I know the fog you mentioned, and I love that idea of it too, even from a nightscape point of view with the lights coming up and everything else around the actual cloud. But like the sand dunes and the whole road being eroded by the, uh, the, the sand, is that something that interests you in that area too? Oh, absolutely. That entire region is just, I, I, I could definitely spend a couple of weeks just photographing everything from the cityscapes to the sand dunes, just to just general architecture around that area. I just think it's a, it's a beautiful area and it's something that's kind of outside of my, my wheelhouse, something that I'm not very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And I just think it'd be a great thing to, to explore. I also want to um, photograph Bali as well. Even before mm -hmm. I was uh, into photography, my wife always wanted to, to go to Bali. She's a yoga, and uh, yoga instructor. So okay. she's always wanted to go over there as well. And uh, over the last few years, I've been thinking about getting there for photography as well. And so she can go in and, and, uh, and see it for herself. But um, yeah, that's a place that I would love to, to photograph as well. Amazing waterfalls. Yeah, amazing places as well, and warm. So, you know, that's the nice yes. thing about it. Yeah, yeah. and Mosquitoes. You know, <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. And you alluded to it there a second ago, and it's something I wanted to ask you also, I suppose, is about Ireland, because, you know, you said, okay, you haven't had an international travel from a photography point of view, and you'd love to come to Ireland. I would challenge you that if you did come to Ireland, you would fall in love with the seascape again, because we have an area on the west coast of Ireland called, now it's very aptly named, it was a masterstroke by the marketing team in Tourism Ireland to call it the Wild Atlantic Way because it's a way around Ireland along the Atlantic and the beauty that we have for such a small island is just incredible I mean we have some of the highest cliffs in Europe um, yes. we have you know some ridiculously rugged coastlines where the road you would go hang on a second this is a two-way road I'd barely fit one car along this road but <laughs> oh, guess what it's it, it's two-way and we get the Atlantic front coming in all year round granted in the summer it's not as ferocious but you get a nice storm there you can get waves that come up over these cliffs and it's absolutely mesmerizing number one to look at but to photograph i mean i'm lucky because i'm living here but i can't travel to anywhere outside five kilometers for the nearly the last i don't know how long seems like 20 years at this stage with this whole lockdown <laughs> business and for right. such a small island but you know i would say that if you ever do get the opportunity come to Ireland, you know, of course, you know, I welcome you and I'll show you some areas around, but I can nearly guarantee you that you will fall in love 
more so again because I've watched some of the videos you've made in the past when you went to the Oregon coast and you're, you you love that whole area with the stacks and such like that. We have that in spades here, but you've got some incredible mountains that are right on the coast and it's just, it's it's out of this world. I mean, you know, Ireland is kind of like a hidden gem from a photography point of view. Everybody goes to Iceland, everybody goes to the Faroes. You know, nobody really knows about coming to Ireland, but I'm thankful for that because we don't get the hordes of people that would be all in the one spot, let's just say, taking the, the, the photographs. But right. for such a small area, you've got a huge amount to choose from. Waterfalls, I mean, look, you know, for, it rains over 330 days a year. You know we've got a few waterfalls as well. So, yeah, you're, you're very welcome to come to Ireland. Hopefully at some stage we'll be able to get you over. But I think it would be something that you really, really would enjoy. Yeah, it's probably one of the places on my my next place or first place to travel outside of the U.S. once the uh, the pandemic is over would be Ireland because I absolutely love a good rugged coastline like you mentioned I, with the Oregon coast. I love the Oregon coast. I love Kauai. Um, I was uh, fortunate mm-hmm. enough to spend a, a week in Kauai a couple years ago, all for photography, and that was just absolutely otherworldly. I mean, it, it's Kauai is like Jurassic Park. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in the world, and it's mainly because the, the mountains meet the ocean in the most rugged manner you could imagine, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But I've seen so many beautiful photographs of the, uh, the Ireland coast, and they, exactly what you're talking about with just these ominous storm clouds rolling in and these massive cliffs i mean that's that's right up my alley yeah and you know an interesting one was um i'm from cork which is the largest county in ireland but we've got obviously a lot of coastline that runs around that and there's one area last year when we went into the first lockdown that started this whole covid bs right um and we couldn't move and then all of a sudden in june we were able to move to the within our county and there was a place i wanted to go to and it's a place called three castle head and it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's a head with three castles on it. But in the middle of all that, you've got a lake as well. And it got me thinking when I was there, people travel to the Faroes to get these lakes with the cliffs and going into the sea. But we have it here in Ireland, but not many people know about it. And it was something that it blew me away. And even in the whole area around that, I had my drone and I went, okay, you know what, I'm going to get a photograph here. And I really started to fall in love with my drone because taking photos looking back in where you see the extent and the height of these incredible cliffs with the waves crashing underneath. But then, like I say, on this particular location, you've three abandoned castles and this beautiful lake. And the lake is actually more or less in the shape of Ireland. So it's it's just incredible. I, I oh, couldn't get so over cool. it. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't that's get over amazing. it. Amazing. Well, w- hopefully one day when we can all travel in here, you know, we'll welcome you with, uh, it's called Cade Mila Falce, which is 100,000 welcomes. It's the Irish for that. So we welcome you to Ireland, hopefully at some stage anyway, Mark, you know. Oh, that'd be amazing. Not that far down the line. So look, Mark, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a very, very quick break and uh, we'll be right back after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have of some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear, and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one. And you're very welcome back to the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Mark, I'd like to talk to you next, I suppose, about something that I think, you know, you've got a very, very novel approach to, and it's workshops, right? So, like, it's really, really interesting that, you know, the approach that you have is that you're encouraging people to not to focus on the end result, but also to enjoy the experience along the way. And I think that's really important from a photography point of view, because like people can be so fixated on getting an image 
they forget about all the things and the steps that they took along the way on that. So I, I really like that approach. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how you kind of uh, evolved that, I suppose? You know, it's it started... I, I, w I actually went on a workshop where I paid. I was an attendee. I think that's something that uh, a lot of people don't know about me. And I think it was 2017 was when I really started to, to get excited about outdoor landscape photography. And I uh, that was when I first found out about Out of Chicago. And I heard that they were doing a, a landscape photography conference in Acadia National Park. I had never been there. I've never even been to a workshop or a conference or anything. So this was very, very far out of my norm and or i should say out of my comfort zone but i i ended up going mm -hmm. on this uh this workshop and you know nick page was an instructor there and aaron bobnick was there and in a lot of these uh photographers that uh, that i looked up to they were the instructors was one of the reasons why i wanted to go there so mm -hmm. um the experience was absolutely amazing but the conditions really weren't that good i mean i don't think we saw one cloud the entire time it was a crystal wow. blue skies the entire time and I think I only came away from this week-long conference with maybe two, maybe three photographs that I really liked out of thousands of images. So from a, a productivity standpoint, it wasn't the most productive trip. And I remember being a little bit down about it while I was there. I was having mm -hmm. a great time. But then when I was leaving, I, I'll never forget this. I was uh, um, flying out of Acadia, coming back home. And the plane was taking off, and I was looking down at a lot of these fall trees. It was uh, it was in, uh, fall in Acadia, and that was really the moment where I was like, "This is what I want to do. I, I want to be a, a full time landscape photographer, and I want to lead these these uh, excursions and, and lead these workshops." And that was really when the the, the bug kind of got me. And where I'm going at with all this is that the experience of that workshop for me was way more important than those two or three photographs that I got that I was happy with and way more important than the thousands of photographs that I ended up just deleting because they weren't good at all. But it was just just the overall mm -hmm. experience of that and the, and the people that I met, I still talk to, to some of them still to this day. And that was a week that I will never forget in my entire life. That one, I mean, it was my first workshop, but it was my first time doing real landscape photography morning, day and night for multiple days. I was so tired. But being around, you know, a hundred like-minded people in some of the most amazing landscape photographers in the world, it, it just really kind of struck a chord with me. And that was kind of when I really started to realize that it's not always about the actual photograph. If you can get a nice photo out of a, a trip, that's always a, a, a nice plus. Mm -hmm. But there's so many tr times where I don't come away with anything, but I still have an absolute blast and I still create memories within myself. Of, uh, of just being somewhere beautiful, even regardless if the conditions weren't great. So that was kind of where my, my whole thought track of, uh, you know, and maybe not focus so much on the end result and just focus on the experience because I used to plan a shoot and when things didn't materialize, I remember getting kind of anxious about it because I was like, oh my God, I spent all this money to get to this location and I spent all this time to get here and I'm not going to come away with anything. And it would, it, it's, a, it's a recipe to really ruin your, your, uh, your trip. But when you can kind of remove that expectation on yourself to, to create this portfolio uh, quality image, it just makes the overall experience much better. And I've often, often found that when you don't put so much pressure on yourself, you'll always come away with an amazing photograph as well anyway. So it's kind of like the universe <laughs> helps you out sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. You know what, it's interesting you say that because for me, like I think 
everybody has this expectation, but everybody also is looking forward to something. And if you're looking forward to something, you're building yourself up, building yourself up. Nine times out of 10, when you're in that moment, you're naturally in that moment because you're thinking about the next step and you're thinking either about going home or you're thinking about where you're going to be going tomorrow. Whereas actually taking the moment to enjoy present moment awareness and say, here I am right now, but look at the people that I'm with. Look at the laughs that I'm having and look at the experiences, as you say, that I'm going to have that are going to far outweigh the click of the shutter on your camera because the memories, as we alluded to in the very beginning about looking at an image, the memories last a lot longer and the feelings last a lot longer than the actual image that you may or may not get. So you, I think from the disappointment point of view, it is absolutely correct because, you know, if it was always going to be perfect conditions, we'd always have... You know, one shot, it's a banger of a shot. But that's never the case because, you know, you'll take a thousand photographs before you'll get that one banger of a shot. But if you don't enjoy every step of the way for what it actually is, then it might just kind of pass you by. And I think that's very, very interesting. That's why it stuck out to me when I, you know, started doing the research and putting things together for this podcast. I was thinking that's a very novel approach because if you're just focused on the destination, you have a lot, a lot of adventures along the way that you may just brush by. So I think it's really, really novel. You know, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, it, it has definitely served me well, and, I, and I'm and i always talking about it every time I have a one-to-one sessions with people, and we, when we talk about just, just the, the, the mindset of outdoor photography, I always end up kind of harping on that, of trying to, to alleviate the internal pressures that we all put on ourselves to constantly produce and constantly um, get better at something. I mean, you can just kind of push that to the side and just enjoy what you're doing, the, the little things. It just mm-hmm. it's a, it just creates a, a much more um, a healthy and mental environment. I find, at least for me, it does. Oh, I agree with you fully. I agree with you fully, and particularly in the world that we're living in at the moment, I think we need to find as many healthy environments as we can possibly find. And you know, like workshops, I think are very very important, not only from a learning point of view, because you know, look, you can pick up a book and you can read a book on how to take a photograph. But when you're in the field, the light isn't exactly the same as what it was in the book. So unless you have somebody that's next to you, that you can even be a steer and saying, you know, what settings are you on here? Tell me a bit more about that. That gives you the setup. And then you can also say, what do you think of this? Oh, that's really nice. But have you considered moving to the left a bit? Oh, I haven't actually. Because if you haven't got that as somebody next to you, you might come back and there's nothing worse than coming back and looking in the camera and going, damn it, I should have gone five inches to the left. I should have moved. <laughs> that's the, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Yep, that's the worst. I should have been a little bit lower. I should have been a little bit higher. I should have used a different mm-hmm. lens. All those things that you cannot correct once you've left. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And how has your photography workshops now evolved over the last year, obviously, with the whole pandemic? Have you uh, adapted those to the, to, the, to the digital world? So 2020 was supposed to be the year that I was going to start doing my own workshops. Up until then, I only have done workshops with uh, with out of Chicago. I was at the uh, out of Oregon um, conference, I believe that was the end of 2019. But I did teach at the out of Acadia at the end of 2020, which was absolutely fantastic. But I'm in the works now for planning for workshops for 2022. God, these years are going by so fast, it's hard to keep up okay. with them. But uh, I plan on yeah. doing a, qu- yeah. quite a few yeah. more workshops. And I'm going to still kind of do workshops, you know, the, the larger group workshops, kind of the landscape photography conferences. 
I'm speaking at the uh, the Out of Chicago Live event, which I believe is this April, and I'm also speaking at the the Outsiders Conference in Kanab, Utah, which is also in April. So I'm definitely looking forward to those. But a lot of these things, these are kind of new opportunities for me that are just starting to bubble up because, like I mentioned when we when we first got on the on the call together. A lot of this feels so new to me, so I'm definitely figuring it out mm -hmm. as I go along. You know, I talk to a lot of photographers who've been mm -hmm. running workshops for like 17, 20 years, and and here I am. I've taught it, you know, a handful of them, but uh, it, it's definitely something that I I really enjoy doing, helping someone or seeing the the look mm -hmm. on someone's mm -hmm. face when they are able to 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 capture an image that they, that has just blown them away is absolutely priceless. That's the best feeling in the world. Fully agree. And, you know, you've alluded to there, I suppose, is the out of Chicago um, events. So like you were a guest speaker in person in the past and now you're going to be working, as you say, in April on that. So like you've worked with a number of other photographers over the years there. Like how did what made you decide to do this and how did you find the experience? So the experience has been fantastic. And I actually found out of Chicago when I was an attendee in 2017 at the uh, the Acadia event uh, that I mentioned. So that was how I first discovered mm -hmm. out of Chicago, but I was actually, I was not instructing. I was an attendee, a participant there. And that was when I, you know, at the end of that event, I, I you know, I said a kind of a mental note to myself. I was like, this is what I want to do. And I remember thinking to myself, one day I'm going to teach at one of these events. And sure enough, a couple of years later was when I taught at my first one. And that was the, out of Oregon, which was such a surreal experience for me. I actually, um, uh, I, re I remember kind of, preparing for that event and it was just such a I guess it, it was just a, a, a real surreal moment to actually be on the other side now as an mm -hmm. instructor as opposed to an attendee but that's how that was my first exposure with uh, with Chris Smith and the guys over at uh, out of Chicago but um, I think they put on an absolutely fantastic conference uh, they do multiple ones each year and uh, it was definitely a, a great opportunity for me and continues to be so I'm definitely very uh, very grateful to to them for that and, you know, is there anybody or any particular person that you've worked with on these conferences that stands out to you to this day that, you know, you're still friends with and that you enjoyed so much? Oh, my gosh. I've I've met so many people over the last two years. And it, it was so funny. These are people that I've, quote unquote, have known about for years, you know, and to actually get to meet a lot of them at these conferences and, and work along with them was just absolutely amazing. But um you know, Sean Bagshaw, I remember when I mm -hmm. first met him at uh, out of Oregon and, and Michael Shanebloom. I, I was a big Michael Shanebloom fan. I still am. I, I talk to him fairly frequently now, which is mm -hmm. which is crazy to me because here I was just a few years ago, <laughs> just a, a huge fan. And now uh, we, we text back and forth. We talk on the phone and it's 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 crazy. But um, so much of this happened for me in the last two years where I'm still just trying to get, uh, get my, my feet wet a little bit, trying to navigate all this. But uh, mm -hmm. that was what's so cool about a lot of those out of Chicago events is it brings so many incredible photographers together. But everyone mm -hmm. has just been absolutely fantastic. Gavin Hardcastle had opportunity to, uh, to work with him. Uh, God help in you. Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's just, it, it's opened up so many opportunities for me, but, and, and I know I'm leaving people out, but everybody has just been absolutely fantastic. Very supportive of uh, the new guy. That's kind of how I, I feel still, but uh, it, it, it's been mm -hmm. a good experience for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, look, I think it's interesting as well that, you know, you get such an eclectic congregation of people, but all commonality about photography. And I think that's the beauty of photography because you can get so many different people from different walks of life, but having that thing in common immediately sets people off on the right direction. And you can talk till the cows come home about taking photos. And as you say, you'll strike up friendships there which will last a long period of time. And I think it's very, very interesting. I haven't gone to one of those events or conferences, but it's something that I would like to do um, as a spectator, I suppose, for the first instance. But of course, I'd have high ambitions of getting up on the stage at one point as well and doing something from my own end. But I think it's really, really good because you do get such a breadth of talent in one area, but then to be able to go out and shoot with, with, with these people and you as well, I suppose, in in, in the guys, <laughs> you know, it's it's a very, yeah. very interesting thing, you know. So, yeah, I think they're, they're a very, very good idea. Now, hopefully they can kick off in the real world scenarios in a couple of years. But now they're, they're kicking off on a virtual basis, as you say, in April. So, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I might actually sign up for it and attend it from across the water. Yeah, they, they do a really good job. But there, there's just there's something very powerful of about spending uh, a, a long period of time with a ton of like minded people. Because like you said, you know, mm. just, just just nerding out and talking about camera technology and photography and then the outdoors. It's just that that's so much fun. And just going to, you know, after you spending it an entire day out in the field and going to uh, to dinner and having a couple beers and just talking about the how the day was before from a photography perspective. It's just it's so much fun. I love it. Yeah, and getting to sit around the campfire with Gavin Hardcastle and his guitar as well and start singing songs, I'm sure, is obviously memorable too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. What What is that guy not good at? When it, I remember we were at this uh, kind of get-together one night with all the instructors in Oregon, and he pulls out a guitar and starts playing it like he is on stage at the Grammys or something. I was, I was completely blown away, and then he starts singing. I'm like, geez, I literally can't do anything. I've got like no good talent. I, 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 I take fairly decent photographs. And outside of that, I can't sing. I can't play any sports. I can't play any instruments. I'm just like, I don't know. I feel it was a very belittling moment. Well, you know, you do have another talent, actually. You know what? You do have another talent, right? Which is you're a very accomplished printer. And I think that's something that you have a great insight into as well. And I think it's a good part of your business, too, because, you know, you're selling prints and such like that, um, now particularly from an online basis. So... Tell us a bit more about printing. How important is printing and how important has it been to you? So printing has been much more important for the evolution of my own photography than it has been from a monetary perspective. And, and here's why, really, because when I when I first started out on this experiment to, to become a full-time photographer, I, I had to really go where the money was because, you know, I had bills I had to pay. And printing sure, was yep. always the lowest tier. It was always bringing in the least amount of money for me, which basically meant mm -hmm. that I could or that I would divert less attention to it. And that was the case for the first mm -hmm. two years that I was a full-time landscape photographer. I very, I didn't focus a whole lot on printing. I did a lot of my own prints and stuff like that. And I sold a few every month, but it wasn't a real needle mover from a financial perspective. But I ended up teaching myself how to print, which is not an easy thing to do. There's a lot that goes into printing and I'm continuing mm -hmm. to get better and mm -hmm. better with every print that comes out of my printer. But it made me a better photographer. And I would encourage anybody who's, who's serious about uh, their photography to, to get a printer. It doesn't have to be a 10000 or a $5,000 printer, but just get a, mm -hmm. you know, as good of a, a printer as you're comfortable spending money on and start to teach yourself how to print. 
it's not rocket science. I mean, you don't have to go get a degree or anything for that. There's plenty of free YouTube content out there on it and in blogs and eBooks that you can download for free, all about printing, but it'll 100% make you a better printer and it'll make you look at your photographs in a completely different manner. And it'll also change the way you look at a composition when you're on location. So I think the, the benefits of printing far surmount the actual print that you're making. Mm. And it's a lot of fun too, because it's kind of like the completion. You know, it's like, you know, you, you prepare for a shoot and you travel to the shoot and you're on location and you capture the image and you bring it back and you process it. And then the final thing is you print it, frame it and hang it up. And that's kind of like the start mm. to finish. And that's when your, your image is fully complete. Now you can always re-edit edit it and, and reprint a different version. But when you hang your own photo on your wall, it definitely has uh, this finality associated with it that uh, kind of like a job well done. Here it is. Here's the final product. So I think that's pretty cool. I agree with you. You know, I mean, from my own point of view, I've dabbed in it and I got scared by it because every photograph that I printed either came out too dark or <laughs> I used I used shed load of ink because I wouldn't have used my printer that often. So it has to go through in a cycle, clean all that. And I was like, Jesus, my God, this is just costing me an absolute fortune. But the ones that I did get right, that I have got hanging up, I walk past them. And exactly as we said at the very beginning, that image that I'm now seeing, I'm instantly brought back to that situation and I can feel that. But even at that, you know, I haven't sold that many images because I never really put them out there to be sold. But people have contacted me and said, can I buy that image? And I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, no problem. But I still get messages from people that, that that image resonates with them. And I don't know what resonates about it. I know what resonates with me. But there's something about that image that resonates with them. So when you have your own images that are being sold on and somebody's buying that image, there is a part of that which is unique to that person because they're looking at that image in a different way than you taking it, but it also resonates. And I think that's a really, really important part, as you say. You know, most times you, as you, you go off, you plan, you take the photograph, you come back, you edit it, you look at it on the screen, it stops there. But it shouldn't right. because yeah. bring, putting it, it on paper, it makes it come to life even more. And, and I think that's the highest compliment that anybody can, can tell you is if a piece of your work resonates with them and it makes them feel something, oh, it doesn't get any better than that. Because I think that's the ultimate goal with photography is getting one, it helps you, yourself feel something when you look at your own images. But when you can trans, transfer that feeling to somebody else and your photograph can make them feel something, mm -hmm. that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Because especially yeah, when there, really there's good. no written, there's no written words, there's no spoken words. It's just a photograph. And if that can make somebody feel something, that's, that's mm -hmm. perfect. That's everything. Yeah. Not the easiest yeah, thing to great. do. It's great. So, but it's great when it happens. No, of course not. And, but you know what, if it was the easiest thing to do, that's as the old saying goes, everybody would be doing it. But the reality is, is that everybody is doing it, but they're not printing the images because they're looking them on their phone. And you put away your phone and it's gone away. And if you go back to many, many years ago, before we went to the digital age, every photograph was printed because it was actually yeah. on a, a, a picture. And you'd sit around, you'd open up the photo album and you'd reminisce and you'd look at different photographs. And it's, there's a tactile feel that is unique to printing an image that you don't get looking at your screen. And also what I found is that when I'm looking at my screen, I'm pixel peeping and I'm like, oh, hang on, I don't like that, I don't like this. <laughs> but when you, yeah. but, but when, you, when you print it, all that becomes irrelevant because the image is still very, very sharp. And I'm, at one point, again, I've mentioned this before on, on, on the podcast a long, long time ago, and I mentioned it again, is I was in one evening and I was ag agonizing over this image. 
And I was looking, I was like, oh, damn it, man, it's not as sharp as I wanted it to be. And my wife came in, she goes, what's wrong? And I went, look, look, look at the rock, it's not as sharp. And she went, hang on a second, how far zoomed in are you? And I went, I'm not that far. She goes, zoom out. And I zoomed out and I couldn't even see the rock because yeah. I was so fixated at it. So when you're printing an image, you know, the, it, the, the minute details become incidental. It's the ambience and the feeling and totality that the image will give you, which is the most important part. And that's, I think, the unique aspect of printing an image. Yeah, because like, when's the last time you looked at a print hanging on the wall with your eye a millimeter <laughs> exactly. from the exactly. paper? Never, never. Yeah. You know, exactly. <laughs> we don't, we don't, we don't look at art like that. You're always standing a couple yeah. feet away. But what's uh, what else is so interesting is that when you're looking at a print, you are much more likely to spend more time looking at that single photograph than you are on your phone or a computer. Because when you're looking at something on your phone or a computer, you are one swipe away mm -hmm. from another photograph. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at it, a print, that's it. You know, there's more than likely not more prints down the line. I mean, unless you're in an art gallery or some sorts, but you, you're, you're more likely to spend more time really taking in that actual print as opposed to if you're, if you're just kind of scrolling through Instagram. Absolutely, and great advice there as well, Mark. You know, I think it's very interesting. You, you know, still, at this day, when people are looking at in an Instagram world, it's exactly as you say, it's the next swipe away and it's forgotten. It's out of it. But when you print it and look at it, even from a photography book, you know, I mean, I've had uh, Adam Gibbs and Thomas Heaton on the podcast to talk about their books because I have bought their books and I look at their books on a regular basis. Because when you're sitting down, you can actually immerse yourself in the image and get lost in the image, where if it's on a screen... It's gone. It's gone just as quick as it came in. And that's one thing I love about books and photography books. And I've got lots of them because I'll sit down with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a beer and I'll just immerse myself in that journey of images. And I'm finding I'm looking at each image a lot longer than I would if I was looking at it on the screen. So yeah, that, that's fantastic advice. Yeah, you're not you're not speed you're not speed flipping through the book one after another after another. You you're actually consuming the the actual prints. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting the the power of a, a printed photograph versus uh, the the digital age that we're all accustomed to. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice from the air, Mark. Thanks for that. And actually, speaking of advice, I want to touch on we've kind of alluded to it a couple of times here, which is your YouTube channel. I mean, your YouTube channel, you give a hell of a lot of hints and tips to your subscribers. Like, what's the most thing, what do you enjoy most about the YouTube world? Oh, there's a lot. I, I you know, I, it's, <laughs> I started doing YouTube, I kind of like how you mentioned it. It was, it was a little bit of a joke. I had bought a GoPro and I started to make these kind of family movies of little outings. Maybe we went golfing with the family or went on vacation somewhere and I'd make these little movies. And then we would all get together and we'd watch the movie on the, on the mm -hmm. television. And, um, the only way to do that would be I'd have to post it to YouTube and we could watch it. Anyway, that's how I started it, my channel doing that. I had since removed <laughs> all these family movies, of course. But, um, you know, there's I, I like making videos, but, you know, without getting too, too deep on it. But when I was in the corporate world, I remember towards the tail end of that, I was, one, I was pretty unfulfilled. You know, and I was always chasing the dollar. You know, once you make X amount of money, then the next year you got the 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 way to signify that the following year is better than the previous year was to make more money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and the way to make the following year better than the previous year again would be to make more money so everything was based off of always making more money mm -hmm. and it was just got to a point to where it was very unfulfilling for myself and i remember thinking to myself is is anybody going to remember me when i die mm -hmm. I, re I remember thinking that i remember talking about it with my wife and everything and it, nothing against my corporate job. I was in the financial marketing space, but I wasn't doing anything that was super helpful to to people, you know, outside of helping them get money so they could buy large assets. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about YouTube is that I get emails, tons of emails every day, messages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. I even get handwritten letters sent to my PO box sometimes from people all over the world telling me how I've change their the their photography or help them improve their photography or i've changed their life through tips because they weren't they never even paid attention to photography maybe they were recovering drug or, or uh, alcohol uh, addiction and they found photography through my youtube channels and start purchase their own camera and now they go out and they're you know one year sober now and, and it's because they were able to focus their attention on this new hobby and the stories go on and on and on about that from people who were in car accidents and had to um, kind of um, rehabilitate themselves and getting out with a camera and utilizing a lot of the tips that i share in my youtube videos helped them to kind of rehab it and walk a little bit better and get outside and there's just so many stories like that. And it just kind of really makes me feel like, wow, I'm finally doing something that might be helping out uh, other people or kind of helping out the world a little bit. So that's wow. what I, I really love about it is the feeling that you really are making a, a little bit of a difference. Because I kind of think we all have our own little slice of the pie, a very, very tiny piece of the pie. And the pie is the entire world. And I think if everybody could just kind of focus on making their little pie better for everyone else or to impact everybody else, I think the world would be such a such an amazing place. So it, it feels really, really good to know that I possibly could be helping somebody else out and change the, the course of some aspect in their life. So there's a lot of um, good fulfilling energy that comes from that. And it kind of keeps me going. Yeah. And, you know, like the once again, a very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> but but very, very apt, you know, because like it's about giving. And I think when when people are always undertake and what's in it for me what's in it for me i don't find that very fulfilling i mean i'm very similar to that i love to be able to give i love to be able to help i love to be able to support and i'd always be very much so a proponent of other photographers here in ireland that if i can help them out even if it's a case of simple hint and tip then i'll give it and i'll do it and i won't even think about it but even looking at your youtube channel you know the amount of content that you have that is there to help people get better at their own photography by either sharing mistakes that you've learned because failure is something that we all have to do to get better but if you're not if you don't embrace failure then you're never going to be able to get better because you'll never know that you actually made the mistake to improve on and i think from that point of view what i love about your channel is that okay i, I watch I, okay pretty much every video let's be honest but i think uh, oh thank but, you <laughs> but i mean overall you know there'll be nuggets within that and i go geez i never thought of that or Geez, I did think of that, but I forgot it. It was two years ago. Now it's back in my head again. And I think that is a great thing to have because most people make a YouTube channel for different reasons. As you say, okay, I, I got to get on this YouTube bandwagon. I got to try and do something. Maybe I can start getting some money rolling in. But by the very nature of your YouTube channel, you're giving more to your audience, I think, than what you're getting back. And that is what makes it so successful. I mean, look, 
what have you, 100 and, what, 150,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel. That's incredible, Mark. And I think it is absolutely a testament to what you just mentioned there a second ago about helping people find and fall in love all over again, many times over, with photography. And that's the beauty of photography. So I, I love your channel and well done for what you've done it so far. So far, I think... I think, oh, I think there's incredible things even yet to come because you've built a phenomenal base there. And uh, the other point on that as well is that even reading the comments that you get, like you say you get them as direct messages, but even the comments on your YouTube channel, they're fantastic to read, even just to scroll down and see what other people think about the content as well. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and interacting with everybody, because I, I still to this day, I, I try my best to get back to every single comment, at least after the first few days from posting a video. But the interaction you have with, once again, with like-minded people, it's everything. It's, it's, it's so much fun. And I've created such great relationships with so many people that I've never spoken to them on the phone or I've never uh, met them in person, but just through YouTube comments or direct messages here and there. And, uh, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's been, it's been such a, a cool and exciting last two years. It's been amazing. It really has been. Feel yeah. very very fortunate. I love your channel, and if anybody hasn't come across your channel, I'll put links anyway when I put the uh, the podcast show notes together as well. But yeah, go check it out because if you're into photography, you can't miss Mark's channel because you will learn a hell of a lot. And kudos to you for uh, creating the content that you continuously do. Not only the ones that have no speaking. I really love that one as well because I was right next to you when you were in that woodland taking that photograph of the tree. You said nothing, but I was there, and that's what I loved about it. Yeah, I, yeah, I didn't. I didn't say one word. And I think I'll actually probably make another video about that. You know, and it's funny when you start kind of doing YouTube a little bit more, you it's really easy to only make content that gets a lot of views. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because it's easy to go back and look, oh, you know, this video from six months ago did really well. Maybe I should make another video on that kind of generalized topic. And it's easy to kind of fall into that trap. But like that no speaking video, it didn't do very well. And uh, as far as views go or anything like that, but it was just so much fun for me to watch and or watch uh, to, mm -hmm. to make. And the comments were absolutely fantastic. And it really resonated with a lot of people because I didn't show the final photo at the mm -hmm. very end. And there was a lot of comments that were like, oh, it would have been good if you showed the photo, Mark. And I get that. But the whole point was it's not about the mm -hmm. photo. So you see me take many photos, but I never showed one of them. And it was just the overall experience in it. And I just really, really loved making that 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 video. It was very stress-free and um, it was just easy. It was it was fun. It was a lot of fun. She's, it was a, a laid back experience. That's a good way to put but it. But you know what? As, as a creator myself, when I was watching it, I was like, Jesus, my God, how many angles is he after recording here, man, to get to the same thing? And I was thinking, Jesus, after putting like... Every single time you had the camera on one point, then you move it, you had another camera angle, another camera angle, another camera angle, and I was thinking, that must have been hard to make. Would you just answer it there for me? Because you say it was such an enjoyable one to make, you know? So, yeah, I, I love that one. And I think, yeah, more of those from the, the, the ambience and getting in and getting into the psyche of being there. When everybody can't really go where they want to go at the moment because the world is upside down anyway, I think it's a very, very good idea. Very, very good idea. Yeah. Right. Thank you. And, you know, I have one final question there for you before we go to the final break there, right? Is um, I've, I've seen you on this new uh, social sensation, Clubhouse. What's your thoughts? What's your thoughts on this platform? 
Oh, I, I, I think it's great. I really do. And it's funny, I, I get a lot of questions. People ask me, you know, like, what, what, what is Clubhouse? And I, always, I often struggle with trying to explain exactly too, yeah. what it is. Yeah. But um, it, it just kind of feels like a radio station that you can participate in at any moment. I think that's really cool. And I find myself, of course, jumping in on a lot of the, the landscape photography centric conversations. But I also find myself jumping into things that have nothing to do with photography. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot, there's a lot of depth in Clubhouse, and I'm not even a, a hundred percent sure exactly what is Wash. the best way to really use it. But I think it's fantastic to just explore things. It's a lot of fun though, and I think it's something that's uh, fairly unique. I've heard rumblings that there's been other things that were similar to it in the past that didn't work out. I'm not super familiar with with what that is. Mm -hmm. But I have enjoyed the last few weeks of uh, of using Clubhouse. It's it's fun. I'm always trying to, uh, you know, learn new things or expand my knowledge in certain areas, and just be able to pick up your phone and jump in on a conversation with an absolute expert in a particular field mm -hmm. is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to, to to ask a question directly to them, mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> what a beautiful what a beautiful technology age we live in, right? <laughs> Absolutely, you know, I, I, it's, Wild. It, it's it's actually interesting. You say that you struggle to explain it to people because I have actually very similar to that. You know, people have asked me what's this clubhouse, and I'm like, um, it's like a live podcast, but um, it's just lots of people on the podcast, and also people are talking about either the same subject or a different subject, and you can come up on stage and like, what do you mean you can come up on stage? Is there an actual stage? No, 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 there's not a stage, but you can put your hand up and then you can you can ask a question, you can interact with the conversation. And it's very difficult to explain, but I do think there's a huge amount in it from a learning point of view, just to be able to listen to people, how they're interacting together. You know, like you mentioned there about Michael Shainbloom, I've seen Michael Shainbloom on it a number of times, and you know, I know Michael as well, and I talk to him on a regular basis, but you can even see there, when somebody's up talking and sharing their own experiences, it's not rehearsed, it's purely off the cuff. And it is really interesting to yeah. actually listen, like, like a fly on the wall, because you don't need to participate. You can sit there and you can listen in all this, it's like you say, like a radio station, put on your headphones and you can hear these iconic people that ordinarily may not ever be in the same room together. But here they are now in the same room and they're having a very, very in interesting and in-depth conversation about a subject that they like, that you like, or, as you said a moment ago, a subject you'd never even thought about before. But now all of a sudden you're in, you're listening to it. I think it's, I think it has huge potential um, because it's effectively like these conferences, you know, like out of Chicago as an example, that people can go and listen into and have people shoot the shit together, take the piss out of each other, but more importantly, have yeah. fun and have a very, very interesting conversation. I think it's something that, you know, could either sprout legs and go fantastic, which I hope it does. Um, or it could fall flat in its face. Who knows? But I mean, it's still, I think it started last August or something like that. Um, I came across it in January um, and it was interesting because... Yeah, me yeah, too. And it was interesting for me. What blew me away is that I said, I'll start a room there for the laugh. You know, I said, I'll, I'll call it, you know, beer with photography. The rule is that you have to have a beer and we'll talk about anything about photography. And all of a sudden there was people coming up and asking questions, but they were also saying, Darren, love the podcast. I'm like, Jesus, I never even knew who you were or you listened to the podcast. And like, you know, yeah. and it kind of blew me away in that way because it kind of shows the reach that you have unbeknownst to yourself. And it, the audience is, is, is worldwide. That's so cool, it's yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. 
Yeah, that's such a good feeling. Yeah, it's, it definitely has a, a real raw, yeah. organic feel to it. Like you mentioned, nothing scripted. It just feels like you're just, you, you, it's like you just called somebody on the phone. Yeah. But uh, I love listening in. I'm, I'm, I'm such an introvert in mm-hmm. heart. So I love just kind of like sneaking into a room and just kind of sitting in the, in the attendees and just kind of listening in. And um, it's great because you just throw on some headphones and you can kind of do whatever else you need to do in the house or wherever you are and uh, yep. kind of listen in and you learn a lot. And it's, it's great to get different yeah. people's perspective on certain things and see what's kind of going on in their lives. It's uh, it's cool. I've really enjoyed it so far. But it will be interesting to see what it looks like in a few months because there's been so many social platforms over the years that were super popular in the beginning and you never hear about them shortly after that. But um, I'm hoping that Clubhouse will uh, uh, stick around for a while because it is pretty it's pretty unique, I think. It is, and I just I, for, before I go to the final break, there I just want to, one one anecdote on it was that um, you know if you are subscribed to somebody and then they are in the conversation, you get a notification on your phone. And I was sitting down one evening and I had a spare moment, and I saw Michael Chamberlain was talking with Nigel Danson. And I went, oh, geez, I didn't know the two of those each other. Okay, let's see what they're talking about. So I went into the room, <laughs> but Michael had set up the room to to teach Nigel how to use Clubhouse, but it set the room as public, and all of a sudden went. Who are all these people? What's going on here? And now all of a sudden you get five, five people, uh. 10 people, <laughs> 20 people, 50 people. There was nearly 100 people inside in the room in an instant because everybody got a notification that follows them. And then the conversation just flowed. So it was nothing scripted. It was only the two of them showing each other how to use Clubhouse. So the two novices effectively had a room and the conversation was excellent. So that's what I love about it, you know? Oh, that's... That's amazing. I haven't heard that before. That, but that's so cool, though. That's a great testament of uh, of just how just raw and just fluid it yeah, all is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, nothing scripted. Yeah, that's cool. I like yeah. that story. So look, Mark, we're going to take a very, very quick break there for the final part. I've got three questions that I ask every guest, so I'm going to ask you exactly the same questions. And the first one I'll give you a hint is, what's your funny photography story? So we'll be right back to hear Mark's story after this. If you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have of some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear, and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you on the next one. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, Mark, like I alluded to there before the break, you know, I've got three questions that I ask every guest, and I'm going to ask you exactly the same three questions. And we'll start with, what's your funny photography story? Everybody has one, but what is yours, Mark Denny? Yeah, you know, during the break, I was trying to think about it. I was like, what is my funny photography story? And whenever I'm out doing photography, I am always by myself. I very rarely shoot with anybody else. And most of the time when I'm out there by myself, there's not a whole lot of funny things that uh, that happen. Mm-hmm. But I do have a, an, an interesting story that even the people that were a part of this have no idea. I've never even mentioned this before. This was something that completely happened in between my two ears and something that uh, <laughs> was a very cerebral moment for myself. But... It was at the Out of Oregon event. That was the first real workshop, big workshop opportunity that I had. It was a big opportunity for me, so naturally I was I was pretty nervous. Mm-hmm. And I think it was the, I don't know, maybe first or second night there, and I started to meet a lot of these photographers that I've been following for a couple of years now, and I've read about. I was fans, and just getting to meet them, and them being aware of who I even was or that I even existed was absolutely incredible to me. But mm-hmm. I remember we were at dinner 
and I'm sitting next to Michael Shane Bloom. I think he's on my right. I think Sean Bagshaw might have been across from me, and Aaron Bobnick was to the left. And I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, I was, I, I could not believe what was transpiring at that moment. I was like, I cannot believe one that I even spoke to these people, but now they're literally sitting across from me. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation with Michael Shambloom. I couldn't even keep up with what he was talking about because I was just sitting here thinking to myself, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's even talking to me right now. <laughs> this is absolutely incredible. And they were amazing, absolutely amazing. But the whole time I'm in my, in my head, you know, whenever you talk to yourself in your head, and I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm probably making myself sound like a nut here, but no, I do you, too, sometimes yeah. You, yeah. Ha you have a hard time focusing on what other people are saying. And I remember uh -huh. having a conversation with these people. I think Nick was there too. And I remember talking to these various people and not even being able to keep up with the conversation because all I was thinking was like, don't make an ass of yourself, Mark. <laughs> don't be a fool here. Do not embarrass yourself here. Just hang tough. You're gonna be, you're gonna make it through this. I was, I was so nervous. But what was so funny to me, and so other people might not find this funny, but they had no idea. Everyone was just kind of carrying on with their dinner like everything was normal. <laughs> But between my own ears, it was just a factory of anxiety and, and, and nervousness the entire time. It was it was crazy. But that was a, a real cool moment for me because it was, um, you know, I don't want to say like you you made it kind of a type of, of a moment, but it was mm -hmm. a real kind of, um, it, it felt good that it was kind mm -hmm. of like... Um, Validation. Almost like a pat on the back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little bit of validation that I, I was teaching at one of the conferences that I said I was going to try and teach at a couple years ago, and that came to fruition. And to be able to you know, break bread with a lot of the photographers that I've always looked up to and I still look up to to this day was, was a very kind of awestruck, uh, awe-inspiring moment for myself. But uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty funny experience that nobody else shared except uh, me, myself, and I in that moment. But um, yeah, that was my, my funny photography story <laughs> that no one's I, I, ever I, heard of before. <laughs> oh, thank you very much for the exclusive. I I actually thought what you what you were going to say there is that you were so much in your head. Didn't somebody ask you a question? You went, "You're awesome." <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're talking to me, huh? but no, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and every time I would I would answer a question or I'd have a conversation, I would finish what I was saying, and then I would immediately analyze what I was saying. I was like, "Oh my God, was I talking too fast? What, am I sweating? I feel like I'm sweating everywhere." Did he notice I was sweating? <laughs> Oh my God. And it just, it, it never stopped. My mind was, I don't even think I ate. I think I was so nervous. I ordered food and I barely, I just kind of moved the food around on my plate to make it, to create the illusion that I was actually eating, but I was just uh -huh. a nervous wreck. A nervous wreck. More, ner but, um, more nervous than your wedding day. Exactly. That's exactly what it felt like. But um, yeah. they were amazing. Yeah. And um, I don't think they knew that I was dying inside of, uh, of anxiety, but <laughs> it was pretty funny. Brilliant. No, it's brilliant. And you know what? It kind of goes back to, like I said, when we first started out today, you know, that, you know, everybody at the end of the day, we're all the same. You know, I mean, I think everybody that's sitting down at a table at one stage will have had exactly the same thoughts, guaranteed that you've had. And they will still have those thoughts as well at another stage when somebody else is there that they look up to. So it just shows that you're passionate in relation to it. And you probably hit it well, too. So, yeah, moving the food around the plate, I think, was a good idea. You know, <laughs> about four hours later, then you're going, why am I so hungry, man? Everybody else is out. Oh, it's because I didn't eat any food. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually ordered a pizza when the party was there over you go, I went back yeah. to my room that night because I was, I was hungry. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's what the next 
next question then is um, something we have here, you know, which is a, a staple diet of the Irish Photography Podcast, and it's a three-letter word. It's gas. And it means gear acquisition syndrome. And I think everybody who is a photographer has some bit of gas within them. And some suffer more. And there's many reasons for the justification of gas. But the one thing within that is it all boils down to is gear. So what gear do you shoot with? I know you, I think, did you shoot with Sony before? But you're not with Sony anymore. Or am I incorrect on that? No, no, you're correct. I shot with Sony for, I think, three years and then last year i switched over to fuji and right now i shoot uh i film all my videos and uh with the fuji xt4 okay and i shoot my stills on the fuji xt3 and the two lenses i only own two lenses for it i own the the 55 to 200 and the 8 to 16 which is an absolutely brilliant ultra wide angle lens that i've never used uh, i've never used an ultra wide before until this lens but mm-hmm. uh, a brilliant lens, and um, I've really enjoyed using the Fuji system. But um, yeah, that's uh, that is what I've been using for probably maybe the last eight or nine months now. And you're loving it. I love it. I really do. I think Fuji is absolutely. I mean, Sony's amazing too, of course. I mean, we all know that. But there's definitely something about the the Fuji video files that I really, really, really mm-hmm. like. They just. Um, it's got a good balance of image sharpness, but it still has a little bit of soul in it. It doesn't look too sharp. I kind of, mm-hmm. I like to compare it to like that of a vinyl record. You know, when you listen to like an MP3, the music sounds a little bit sharp, a little tingy. But when you listen mm-hmm. to a vinyl record, it kind of has a little bit more soul to it. I feel like mm-hmm. the, the Fuji kind of video files are a little bit like that. They're extremely sharp, but they're not crunchy sharp they don't have like a digital sharpness to it so it just kind of feels like Mm -hmm. it's got a little bit more soul to it but i love i love uh, fuji video files and um, of course the stills are fantastic and uh, i'm sure you've heard this a thousand times it's just a lot of fun to use and i I feel like a a fuji fanboy when i talk about that but it is it's it's a lot of fun to use i heard about it for years Mm -hmm. and i didn't really understand it until i spent you know three or four months using fuji only and until i really started to realize that uh, there there really is something to uh, the the ergonomics in the way you navigate the the functions throughout the the fuji system so yeah i am absolutely very happy with uh, the switch to fuji a couple of observations i suppose if i may on that is that it's a much more tactile feel using fuji because nothing is really well not not nothing but majority of the controls are buttons are sorry are, are dials not buttons so you have more tactile right. feel in relation to that but also like if you look at the different types of cameras like uh, canon have a very kind of a blue uh, tone or cast to the co- to the coloring of images let's just say nikon is more of a kind of a a, a yellowy kind of a tone but I find looking at Fuji images, it's very much so an earth tone. So like the, the color rendition is very much very earthy. Is it is that your opinion of it or is it just mine, I think? No, I think that's accurate. I think um, I think Fuji to me seems to have kind of a, a green tint a little bit to it, maybe into the in the shadow areas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean I think earthy is a good way to to describe it. But um what I really love about it is that the, the main the main functions that I need are, are not buried in menus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and that was kind of one of my gripes with uh, with Sony sometimes is I felt like I spent a lot of time in the menus. And I know there's ways to customize every camera, but I really like how everything with Fuji, very rarely do I ever have to jump inside of a menu. Everything's very, is, is right there. There's a dial for it. Mm-hmm, but um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Now I, I do miss Sony lenses a little bit. I think their G mount or, or their G Master uh, G series. Yeah. Yeah. G Masters is just absolutely incredible. I had I used to have the uh, the sixteen to thirty five and the one hundred to four hundred, and those are probably two of the best lenses I've ever nice. used in my life. Nice. Yeah. But um, nice the lenses. Fuji lenses I have right now are absolutely fantastic too. But it's a lot of fun. I definitely don't have any gripes about it at all. And what do you sit your camera on? What tripod do you use? I use a really right stuff. It's the TVC thirty four L and a BH forty ball head, and I've had that for for quite a few years now. I own a, quite a few tripods, but that's the tripod that I use most often. I also have another tripod that's kind of a, uh, a, a heavier duty tripod, mm -hmm. but um, I only use that if I'm gonna be going somewhere very turbulent where I know it's gonna be extremely windy or rough seas. But for the most part, I bring my really right stuff everywhere. And do you use filters? Uh, yes, I use uh, Nissi filters, but really just a circular polarizer. Okay. I, I have all of them. I've got um, the soft, hard, medium edge grad filters, all the solid ND filters, but I very rarely use them. It's really just a circular polarizer, but I, I shoot a lot of waterfalls. So a polarizer mm -hmm. is absolutely critical for me. It's almost always on the end of my lens. Yeah, and since I sure. shoot with for that sure. eight to 16 millimeter Fuji lens, I have to have this giant filter for it because it's an ultra wide lens and it looks ridiculous. It looks like a giant Frisbee attached to the, to the end of my lens. But it works great, but it looks a little uh, ridiculous. <laughs> and and the final question then is, what do you put it all into? What bag do you have? I have the uh, Shimoda Action X30 is what I've been using now. I was using the Shimoda Action X50, but when I switched from Sony to Fuji, didn't need it's it. a, a little bit smaller, but it's not a, a huge difference between Sony full frame and the Fuji X series. It's pretty comparable sizes. A little bit smaller, but I was able to scale down to the 30 liter pack, which has been absolutely fantastic. I'm always trying to bring as little gear as possible. I don't have the, the best back in the world. Mm -hmm. So carrying uh, something that's very small and light is of uh, the utmost importance to me. But yeah, I've been using all Shimoda stuff for probably the last two years now and a uh, really big fan of it. Yeah, they're nice bags. They they're nice bags. Stuff. They're nice bags to be fair, you know. And I mean, they, they, what I like about them is the the back entry, uh, so it's much easier laid down, bang, everything is in there, but also you've got the area on the top as well that you can put other items within too as well, so clothing and such like that, so yeah, they're right. and the, the roll top as well seems interesting too, I don't have one, but I've I've looked at them and I thought, you know what, that could be a very interesting bag uh, to have, so yeah, good choice and I suppose the fact that you've, you've downsized the bag as well, like the G Master lenses are bigger lenses, but the Fuji lenses from size and weight are a lot smaller too, so you probably didn't need as much space to be able to fit as much in yeah that's where you really save space and weight is with the lenses because the the x series bodies and the sony a7r three and fours they're about the same size of the bodies but the lenses are substantially different you know, a full frame lens and a crop lens are definitely different but yeah that's where i was able to save um, weight and room is with the lenses but i think the action x series is probably the best camera bag lineup that i've ever used uh, one, they look good, and two, they just have this way of, it feels like the bag's kind of hugging you a little bit, how it, on your back, it just kind of molds itself to your back, because I've used a lot of bags where when you kind of turn around, mm -hmm. you can kind of feel the bag jostling back and forth on your back, mm -hmm. and for someone who doesn't have the best back, that kind of hurts over time if you go hiking for a few miles, mm -hmm. 
but um, this bag is the bag that causes me the least amount of back pain, I think is probably the best way to put it. Uh, that's a winner. That's a winner, winner, chicken dinner, yep. as they say. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Okay, and uh, final question. So now this is really getting down to the nitty-gritty of the gas, right? So we have a, oh boy. a, reg a regular segment, which is a VSP. I think you know what it means anyway. So tell our audience, what does VSP stand for? It stands for Very Solid Product. You know, if I was if I was a little bit more witty and more clever, I would have been able to come up with a better acronym <laughs> on the fly, but I wasn't able to do it. My brain wasn't working quick enough, but I think you mean very solid product. <laughs> yeah, very solid product. A product that you won't leave home without. If you could put your name to it, you would put your name to it. So, Mark Denny, what is your VSP? It would have to be my really right stuff tripod. And it's because, you know, over the years, so much of my gear has changed. I've changed completely different camera system, camera bodies, camera lenses, camera bags, filters, everything's changed. But that tripod has remained the same. I've added different tripods to the mix, but that's always my go-to. I've had it for over three years now. It's completely banged up. It looks like it's been run over by a train. They're the best ones. But I yeah. have never had an issue with it. It costs a fortune. But I think I think with the the tripod and the ball head, it's around fourteen thirteen hundred dollars maybe. Wow! And but it, it 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 works absolutely fantastic. And I wouldn't wouldn't go on any photography trip without without bringing that tripod. And it's stood the test of time. Well, I shouldn't say stood the test of time, but it's the one piece of gear that I I have not really replaced mm -hmm. in uh, in quite some time now. So that would have to be my VSP, my really right stuff tripod and ball head. Very, very good product and interesting. I have two questions, actually, if you want it. You've kind of alluded to the first one is, I've looked at those tripods and I went, man, why are they so expensive? But as you say, I mean, look, you need something solid that you're going to put the camera on that you know you can rely on. You're not going to be in fear of something falling over. So like, are they worth the money that you would pay for it? Because like, I have a Gitzo tripod and you know they always say, never meet your heroes. And because I always thought, I'd love to get a Gitzo one day. I'd love to get a Gitzo one day. And I had an opportunity to get a Gitzo, and I went, okay, I'm going to get this Gitzo. And since I have it, it's fine. It's no problem. But it's never blown me away. In fact, I had it, and it blew over on the second day that I had it. Granted, the camera wasn't on oh, it. Oh, no. Yeah. Granted, the camera wasn't on it, you know, but still, at the same point, it wasn't what I expected it to be. So, like, uh, you kind of answered the question, you know, they are expensive, but they are worth it, Yeah. Yeah, I think they are now for for a hobbyist it, that might be a little bit different. You know, I, I I'm able to, to write off a lot of these purchases. Sure. And this is my 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 livelihood. Yeah. So I think that for maybe someone who's just kind of a general hobbyist, it might be a little bit expensive. But the quality is absolutely there. It definitely is, and it's one of those things that. You know, I did, and I'm sure you've heard this before. I, I think before I bought my really right stuff tripod, I had bought five or six tripods yep. building up to that one, and every one was more more expensive than the subsequent one. And if I were to take the sum total of those five tripods I bought in advance of my really right stuff tripod, those five tripods cost more than the really right stuff. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times, if you just you know bite the bullet and buy the expensive one right out of the gate, mm -hmm. you're going to end up saving money in the long run. But that's a hard thing to do sometimes. Very, you know, very, I remember very, when very. I bought this, when I bought this tripod, I was like, oh my goodness, it was a Christmas gift to myself. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I justified it. I was like, I'm not going to buy anything else for myself for the next year. Mm -hmm. This is going to be it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, no issues at all. It's, it's always worked well. Very solid product. And, and my second question on that tripod is, it's probably the heaviest thing that you carry around. Uh, yeah, it probably is. 
It probably is, but not by much. It's a pretty light tripod, mm. all carbon fiber, and it's not it's not one of those giant ones. It, the, the legs aren't super thick. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, their medium line one, mm -hmm. but it's it's tall, and um, it's fairly heavy. I, I guess it is fair to say that it probably is the heaviest, but not by much. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah. It might give me uh, some details on that, and I'll put that into the show notes as well so people can see the tripod that you would use because, you know, I think it is very, very important. We did an episode on the podcast around two years ago uh, tripod friend or foe because it is very important to have it but I think the most important thing about a tripod is that you only introduce it once you've locked out your own composition from a handheld point of view then bring in the tripod because if you come in all guns blazing with your tripod most times people would set the tripod up at eye level where in actual fact that may not be necessarily the best uh, composition but once you do decide on what your composition is it's vitally important that you know that you can rely on that tripod to protect your gear because let's face it Camera gear is not cheap, and you don't want to put thousands of euros or dollars onto a tripod that's not worth what it should do. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you want to have confidence in it too. Yeah, absolutely. People can go off. Like yep. when, when we had that one, actually, we had a bit of a joke with it. You know, that if you have one tripod, okay, you're a hobbyist. If you have two tripods, you're, okay, you're a hobbyist that kind of likes it a bit more. If you have three tripods, okay, you're getting a small bit obsessed here. If you have four tripods, mm, okay, right, there's a bit something wrong here. You've, you've made the wrong decision on number one and number two. And then you continue on. And as you say, you've already alluded to it. The amount of tripods that you will go through before you finally find the right tripod is incredible. So it's a tough pill to swallow at the very beginning by saying, you know what, I have to spend X amount of money more than I thought on a, on a, on a tripod. But in reality, if you don't do that, the large amount of money you spent on the camera and the lens, you might as well just be putting it up on something which is going to fall over because the reality is it is going to fall over and that's a risk that you have. Right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So listen, um, that's all my questions done, Mark. You know, I think it's been a fascinating insight to not only you, but also your approach to photography. And I think it's very, very interesting for me anyway to listen to you um, and I'm looking forward, you know, to following on with your journey, I suppose. So um, two, two final questions. Where can people find more information about you and what's next for you? So uh, my website is www.markdennyphotography.com and you can find me on YouTube under Mark Denny. Um, Instagram and Facebook is uh, under Mark Denny Photo. But um, that's the, those are the, the best ways to uh, find out a little bit more about me or get in touch with me. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of most of the time. And then as far as what's next for me, I've got a couple of conferences I'm working on coming up for March and April and planning uh, more workshops for 2022. And it's um, going to continue making weekly YouTube videos. That's definitely probably might be one of the things that I enjoy most. But um, mm -hmm. just kind of continue, you know, living the dream. I, it's, it feels, I, I know we mentioned it at the beginning of the call, it feels very uh, surreal to be able to do something finally that uh, I love to do and make a living out of it. So I'm trying not to uh, get too far ahead of myself and just try and enjoy one day at a time and just uh, see where the journey goes because it, uh, it all feels very new to me still. But uh, it's been a ton of fun. Yeah, like I say, I'm really looking forward to following along on the journey, you know, so thank you very, very much for a fascinating conversation. And uh, hopefully someday when you come to Ireland, you know, I'll meet you, I'll greet you and we'll bring you for a beer. And maybe we'll fit in a couple of landscape photography shoots along the way. But I think, you know, there's a, an open invitation there for you to, to visit the Emerald Isle. So, Mark, thanks a million. And uh, from me in Ireland to you in North Carolina, hopefully until we meet, Schlanke Fall. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. 
Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.